Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to the First Capital Ideas podcast of the 2019 Legislative Interim. This is where we sit down at the Capitol with members of the majority Washington State House Democratic Caucus and talk about ideas. It's bill signing season now in Olympia, and I had the good fortune this week to talk with Representative Mike Pellicciotti not long after Governor Jay Inslee signed one of Mike's more significant bills of the year into law. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. First, I'll do this part. Democrat Mike Pellicciotti came to the House of Representatives after a long career as a prosecuting attorney for King County, where he gained a reputation as a prosecutor you didn't want to face if you were charged with domestic violence, sex trafficking, elder abuse, or government waste. He was sent to Olympia by the folks in the 30th Legislative District, which is anchored by Federal Way and includes Algona, Auburn, Des Moines, Milton, and Pacific. Since his arrival, he's worked on a variety of issues, but he's best known for fighting for transparency and accountability in government, in the election process, and in the private sector. We got together on Tuesday, May 7th, and this is how it went. Welcome, Representative Mike Pellicciotti. I really do appreciate you coming by to be with us today on Capital Ideas. It's great to be here. Today was a big day for you. It's always a big deal when one of your bills gets signed into law by the governor. And today your House Bill 1379 was signed into law. Sure. Well, I think it's an important uh, step forward in, in providing better campaign finance laws and, and greater transparency for, for voters. I, what the bill does is, uh, most simply, is it requires that when uh, campaign mailers are sent out by political operatives, that they can't just hide behind friendly-sounding PAC names and instead requires that uh, that those mailers indicate who the true funders of those uh, ads are, not just the PACs, but non-PAC uh, contributors, so that people actually know who's, who's behind these mailers. I did a little research online and just typed in fake names for PACs, and a Republican Senate campaign in Massachusetts recently was funded by the Americans for Progressive Action, which is pretty misleading. There's also a pack called Americans for America, and there's another one called America for Americans. <laughs> These are things that tell you nothing. Yeah, it, you got it. And, 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 and it's very frustrating for voters. I mean, w when you're getting a, a political ad from a particular political action committee and you really don't know who's funding it, it should be incumbent on those doing the political ads to fully disclose to voters who they are. It shouldn't be incumbent on the average person who's getting a mailer in their mailbox or watching a TV ad on TV to have to do the research to see who's doing that that ad. And, and this bill is an important step forward in providing better transparency and information to voters. Is there a nexus between this kind of thing and Citizens United? Yeah, look, I mean, it's it's all related. I mean, because what we're trying to do is make sure we have confidence in government. I mean, that really is what we need to be working on uh, all the time. Everything we do, from my perspective, is, what uh, you know, are we encouraging greater confidence in government? And, you know, I think a lot of the frustration with Citizens United is, is the amount of, of money, corporate money, but money in general in politics. You know, our Supreme Court has indicated, as the law stands currently and as the Constitution is interpreted right now, that entities have a right, uh, First Amendment right, to, to do whatever political speech they want to. I want to be working within the Constitution right now to provide as much transparency around that speech as possible. And I think this bill is an, that we that the governor signed today is an important step forward in making sure that if outside groups are going to be spending money, that the public knows who's spending that money. As I mentioned in the introduction, your background is that of, of a prosecuting attorney. Do you feel like when you were elected to the legislature and you, you came in, everybody comes in with some sort of an agenda? I don't think people just say, I want to be a member of the legislature. 
was this a motivating factor for you is basically to just clean up things, which I think is kind of a definition of a prosecutor's job? Yeah, well, look, I think there's a lot of work to do. I, I, and I believe a lot of, in the rule of law. I also believe a lot in making sure that our democracy is functioning well and that we're only going to be successful in having confidence in the laws that are passed if people have confidence that the laws that are passed are really in the public interest. You know, when I when I came in the legislature, you know, a lot of my background uh, most recently as a prosecutor was prosecuting corporate health care fraud, elder abuse, and issues issues like that. And one of the great frustrations I had was that the penalties against corporations committing crimes was far too low. Right now, you know, up until this point, that the the laws have not been updated since 1925 to increase the penalties against corporate entities. Uh, a bill I introduced was to, to finally catch up the law with the times a little bit through the Corporate Crime Act that I introduced. And so I was really pleased that, that the governor signed that into law last week. And just for people that are following along on the internet, that's House Bill 1252. They can look it up and read it if they want. I have a real interest in that bill. And one of the things that I'm curious about is, what is a corporate crime? Well, a corporate crime is, is no different than a crime committed by you or me. You know, it's a crime in which a jury finds beyond a reasonable doubt that a crime has been committed. It's the same offenses, whether it's, you know, manslaughter or theft or whatever the case may be. But the way the laws have been uh, written to this point is even if a, a corporate entity commits an offense, and this is different than if you have, let's say, a particular individual who commits a, a crime who's a, uh, an executive in a corporation, what, what often happens is people point fingers at each other. So you have one executive who might say, well, if I had known this information, I would never have done this. And the other executive says, well, if I had known what that other executive knew, I would not have done that. And, and collectively, the, the corporate entity, those high managerial agents know collectively very much what they're doing as a corporate entity. But it's very hard to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt against any one individual. And so what the Corporate Crime Act does that I, I introduced and has now been signed into law is it increases those penalties for the actions where collectively the corporation is found to have committed a crime beyond a reasonable doubt. And that is really where, since you can't send a corporation to jail, what you can do is find that corporation. And so the maximum penalties in our state have been capped at $10,000, even for the Class A felonies. So the type of offense that would send you or me or anyone else to prison for up to life in prison without the possibility of parole, our laws have said that, well, for that same offense, if it's done by a corporation, manslaughter, whatever the case may be, $10,000. That was the maximum penalty, which in 1924 was pretty significant, but it certainly is we, it's the cost of doing business today, and that's just unacceptable. And so what my bill does is says, look, we, we, law needs to catch up with the time. We need to dust off these old statutes and finally make penalties more commensurate with public expectation of what they should be. So the Corporate Crime Act makes those similar offenses uh, per incident at a million dollars, and I think is an important step forward to making sure that there's greater confidence that government is serving what the public expectation is. So all of this kind of goes to in a sense, transparency and accountability, which are two things that you talk about more maybe than some other lawmakers do. That's a pretty good segue to the ongoing debate about the Public Disclosure Act and how the legislature should be subject to the Public Disclosure Act, how much of it, which parts should not be uh, subject to that for privacy of private citizens, etc. But tell me about some of the work that you have done to make the legislature a more transparent place? Sure. Um, well, look, I, I think fundamentally government needs to be transparent. I, I think things operate best when they're operating in the light, especially when you're dealing with either public financing campaigns or, or public actions through public officials. 
Uh, we were talking earlier about the campaign finance bill related to the PAC transparency bill that was signed by the governor today. I've been working with Senator Billig in the Senate for the past two years and passed a bill last year with him to shine the light on dark money in politics, which is money that uh, was passing through certain nonprofit entities that were avoiding any type of public disclosure at all. They were truly operating in the dark. I was happy to see that bill passed. Obviously, last year uh, as well, you know, I took a, a strong stance to make sure that our, the public records of the legislature are being provided to the public in the same way that public records have to be turned over by any other state agency or local government or any other group. I, I don't think the legislature is special. I think we are like any other governmental entity in the in the public's mind, and that's that's how, how it should be. And I, I think we need to be doing more to make sure that we're meeting public expectation and and making sure that our public records are being fully disclosed and available for public uh, inspection. I know this is something that has created some angst among your colleagues, and some of your other colleagues are exactly where you are. What's your prognosis? It's one of those those issues that finds a way to unite uh, Democrats and Republicans together uh, in opposition to some of the things that I've been doing. I find that you know, I came in uh, wanting to bring uh, people together to do good policy, both from Democrats and Republicans in a bipartisan way. And I've, I've united in a bipartisan way a lot of opposition to my bills. But but there are also people, especially within our, our Democratic caucus, who, who uh, you know, view it as the values of, of what we're trying to move forward to make sure we have greater government transparency. And, and I've been able to partner with them and, and, and others throughout the entire legislature to move forward. I, I mean, to answer your question, Directly, I think that both both the courts and, and public perception is going to expect uh, that we be fully transparent. I, I think it, it's been a mistake of the legislature for for decades now to be behind the times on that, and I think we're going to soon recognize and and with a lot of new members in the legislature, I think do policies to to get more to to more meet the expectations of the public related to public records and, and government transparency. Well, with the legislature having just adjourned for the year a week ago. Uh, you've got seven or eight months now to work on bills, policies, uh, meet with some of your colleagues and talk about this. And I expect that in 2020, we may possibly see some more action on this. I, I think that's right. I, I certainly hope so. And I, I obviously would love for us to do it uh, before uh, uh, further court mandates. And, and But I, I think that uh, in any event, uh, it's it's something that, that we need to do in terms of uh, being more more transparent as a legislature. I know you've got to go. Is there anything I haven't asked you that uh, would be really salient to this conversation? Well, no. You know, one of the other bills, I will say one of the bills that did not pass this year that I, I would like to, to, to see us pass next year was a bill I introduced at the request of the, our state attorney general to close the revolving door for elected officials. So elected officials like me or like any other elected official cannot immediately become paid lobbyists in our state. That is something else where I think that we're woefully behind the times on. I mean, it's been now a, a number of years where the federal government has a two-year cooling off period. Uh, my bill as a left committee required a two-year cooling off period for elected officials like like myself before I could become paid as a lobbyist. And I think that's something I, I would like to see us pass next year. Is, um, you, you rarely hear me say that that, that Congress is, is ahead of the times to us on, on working on something, uh, but that's something we're, we're behind on the federal government on. And, and, and I really would like to see that bill pass next year. And one thing I think that could be interesting to listeners here in Washington State is we have a picture of lobbyists based on Washington, D.C., and then we have lobbyists here in Washington State. There is a difference in that breed of cat. 
there's de definitely a difference in terms of the money and, and involvement of, of lobbyists in D.C. compared to here. And, and you know, lobbyists here, many of whom represent you know, small groups, large groups, they're just here educating elected officials. But for me, it's, n it's not so much about the, the problem of someone becoming a, a lobbyist, if that's what they choose to do. My concern is the perception when someone is, a, is leaving elected office and immediately becoming a lobbyist, because it raises questions, even if they're not necessarily true in that situation, it raises questions, well, when did you start negotiating your contract to become a lobbyist with this organization? That, that, did that in any way affect your, your view of certain legislation? And that cooling off period just allows for that separation to occur between someone in their position of power as a legislator and uh, ultimately their, their attempt later to, to influence policy that they might care about. But, but that cooling off period allows for greater confidence in, in, in that process. I know a whole lot of legislators. I, I see a vast difference between the people that I know personally and work with and the public opinion, which is that lawmakers are somewhere ranked below used car salesmen. This is the kind of thing that I suppose could help that perception if enough people learn about it. You know, there was a recent uh, survey that came out that actually gave Washington one of the highest rankings for, for good ethical government in the state. And, and you know, I, I don't want to take away from the fact that we're, we're making progress. And, I'm, I'm, you know, today was another example of that. The, the bill that the, the, that the governor signed in mind today is is a leading bill that I think will be replicated in other states. But that doesn't mean we should stop there. I think it's a continued process to make sure that we're doing things right. And, and I, I take particular satisfaction, not just in my district, but that statewide, the public here in Washington has a unique appreciation and expectation for good government. I think when we do things right here, it, it'll spread to other parts of the country in a good way and will really make a difference to, to instilling confidence in, in government throughout our nation. I think that's a great place to stop. Do you agree? That sounds good. Thank you very much, right. Representative Mike Pellicciotti from the 30th District, Federal Way, Washington, and surrounding cities and communities. I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much, Dan. Well, that's it for today. If you feel like this was worth your time, this would be a great time to subscribe to Capital Ideas on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or most any other podcast platform. This is your state government, and as you just heard, what happens here matters. The more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you and the issues that you care about. Check back soon for another new Capital Ideas. I'm Dan Frizzell on behalf of the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening.